Good morning. We're in the fourth week of our series called Road Trip, uh, and I've got a question for you. We're in the fourth week, and I've just got to ask, how many of you have ever been on a road trip? All right, we've all been on a road trip, right? We've all been on vacation, a vacation of one sort or another. Well, growing up, every summer, my parents loaded my brother and I up into the car, and we set out on to the open road for vacation, sort of like the Griswolds. Um, Sometimes we went camping, other times we went to interesting places like Williamsburg, Virginia or Washington, D.C. On two trips we went to Maine, and more times than I can count we went to Orlando to various parks, whether Universal or Disney, but summer vacation was something that I grew up with. It's a tradition that I loved, and so it's something that I've been trying to incorporate um, into my family. So Stephanie and I, this past Tuesday, for my birthday, we loaded up Addie and Lily Grace and our, my cousin Savannah, who's nine years old and has been with us all summer long. We loaded everybody up into the Explorer and we set out to take a trip to St. Simon's. Now, from my house, which is out Highway 24, uh, you come out the driveway there at New Hope United Methodist Church in the United Methodist Church Parsonage, and you take a left, you follow Highway 24 until it becomes Old River Road, take Old River Road all the way down to 119, 119 to Blitchton, where you get onto I-16, I-16 carries you to 95, you take 95 south, that carries you to Brunswick, you take a left off of the interstate, you take a right off the interstate, then a left onto Highway 7. And that carries you down to the causeway, the Taurus Causeway, which will get you to St. Simon's Island. It's a two hour and 15 plus or minus minute drive from my house all the way down to St. Simon's. And I promise you, I can promise you this, that we had not made it to Gwinnett Crossing we had not made it to Gwinnett Crossing. And some of you are like, I don't know where Gwinnett Crossing is. Gwinnett Crossing is less than a mile from my house. <laughs> we had not made it to Gwinnett Crossing. You can see Gwinnett Crossing from the road in front of our house. From Gwinnett Crossing, the four-way stop there on Highway 24 where you take a left and you go to Oliver, take a right, you go to Leefield. From that crossing, you can see the sign that says church that's just in front of our house. We're there at Gwinnett Crossing, and my daughter and Savannah from the back seat, this five-year-old and this nine-year-old, they pipe up and say, are we there yet? <laughs> How much longer? How much longer until we get there? To which my default response is 30 minutes. <laughs> it could be Minutes, it could be hours, it could be days, weeks, months, years. But if you ask me how long it's going to take us to get from here to the moon, I'm going to say about 30 minutes. It's going to be about 30 minutes. It's a trick that I picked up from my parents. They told we were going to Maine, and Maine was just 30 minutes away. This backfired on me when I was serving in Columbus. Uh, we had a, a, a youth who was really upset uh, because we were out on a mission trip and he was homesick. Um, and, and he said, I just want to call my parents to come and get me. And I said, well, they can't do that. It's too far away. And he looks at me and he says, it's just 30 minutes. <laughs> so it can backfire. But parents, if you need it, there's some ammunition for your road trip uh, in these next 
few days throughout the summer. But you know how it goes. How much longer becomes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And after the 15th time you're asked that question, you just want to say, if we were there, you'd know it, right? If we were there, you'd be on the beach. I wouldn't be wasting gas just to hear you complain. But you can't say those things to nine-year-olds and five-year-olds. Are we there yet? That's a frustrating question, isn't it? It's a frustrating question. Because when we ask that question, we know that we're headed towards something better, right? You ask that question when you know that your destination is better than the place where you are right now. You ask, are we there yet? Or how much longer when you know that where you're going is better than where you are? My girls are asking that question because they know that the beach is much cooler than the back of the Explorer. They know that the wind and the waves and the sun is much better, much, much better than listening to the radio for two and a half hours. Truth is, you and I ask that question in a thousand different ways about our lives and about our faith. Are we, are we there yet? In fact, are we there yet is the question that Paul is wrestling with here in Romans 7. Paul is looking at his life, a life that's been brought from, from death to life through the resurrection of Christ, a life that's been lived under the law of grace rather than under just the law. He has a life that leads others to a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. He's founding churches. He's been on this journey for a long, long time. Yet he's still not there yet. He still hasn't arrived to the place where he wants to be. That's why Paul is perplexed. If you read this text from the NIV, it says that I am perplexed is what Paul says. He's perplexed because what he doesn't understand about himself is that he decides to do one thing, but then acts another way, doing absolutely what he says he despises. Listen to his words. He says, so if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. I need something more than just the rules that say don't touch the red button. I need something more than just the rules, for I know the law, I know the rules, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, Paul says, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, Don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it, Paul says. Something has gone wrong deep within me. Something has gone wrong deep within me and it gets the better of me every single time. Those are Paul's words. Those are Paul's words. Paul the Apostle Paul. The one whose letters make up most of what we have as 
the New Testament, the one who was not only schooled in Jewish law, prophets, and writings, but also was raised up to be a Pharisee. Paul will say of himself that he was to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the cream of the crop, the best of the best. Yet even here, near the end of his life, he still admits that sin gets the better of him. I wonder, have you admitted that lately? Have you admitted it at all? That sin still gets the better of you. I mean, it's easy to pretend like it doesn't. And it takes an incredible amount of courage to do just what Paul has done here, and that is to confess, to confess that even though he's been on this journey for a long time, that there are moments in his life and areas of his life that are still a mess, that there are moments in my life and areas of my life that are still a mess, places and moments where my will and my intention to do right and to do good just aren't enough, and I fall into sin. And I imagine if that's the case for me and the case for Paul, that it's probably the case for you too. No, I'm actually sure. I'm certain. I'm certain that this is the case for your life. No matter how far you are down this journey we call faith, every single one of us struggles with sin, we wrestle with sin, even though we've been baptized, even though we've professed faith in Jesus Christ and received salvation, even though we've been to conferences and Bible studies and prayer groups and Sunday school classes and life groups, and the list goes on and on and on. I know that every single one of us in here struggles to overcome the power of sin in our lives. So what in the world are we supposed to do? What are we to do? I want to do good, but I can't. I want to not do bad, but I do it anyways. What are we supposed to do? We want to be the people that God is calling us to be, but we don't even have the power to overcome our own stuff, our own sin. Where are we supposed to turn for the strength and the power and the courage to live into the future that God has for us. We're supposed to turn to Christ, the one who rescued us from death, can and will rescue us from the sin that holds us back. We're supposed to turn our lives to Christ, the one who saved us, will support us and strengthen us as we seek to live into the future that God holds for each and every one of us. We're supposed to turn our lives. Choir, are you awake? Are you with me? We're supposed to turn our lives to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he's not only saved us, but continues to rescue us from our sin and our destructive habits and attitudes and behaviors. You see, you and I, we aren't just saved. We are being saved. God continually is working to repair the places deep, deep, deep inside of us where things have gone wrong. God is still at work on you and still at work on me 
and still at work in Paul's life, even as he writes these words for us. But what we have to understand is that in order for God to work on us, we have to do just what Paul did. And that is to confess. We have to make it known that our lives are a mess. That even though we try our best, even though we work hard, we find ourselves struggling with temptation, with sin, with our own brokenness. We have to confess with Paul that we don't have the strength and the power to live this faith on our own. Sure, we might try. Sure, we might put on a good face or put out all the effort that we can to look good in front of other people. But the truth is that all that effort and all that work is worthless if you haven't confessed that you're a mess and that you need Christ to not just rescue you from death, but to rescue you from the sin that continues to hold you back from being the person that God desires for you to be. The church understood this. The church has understood this since its earliest days, that we needed to confess the fact that we are not the people that God has called us to be, that we are not the church that God has called us to be. This is why we confess before we receive Holy Communion, and we're going to do that because we need to admit once again that we haven't made it, that we aren't where we're supposed to be individually or corporately. And the beautiful thing about confession, the beautiful thing about telling God that we've fallen short and that we continue to struggle is that if we are faithful to confess our sins and our brokenness before God, He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from our sin. So this morning, as we move toward a time of Holy Communion, I want to invite you to go ahead and open your hymnals to page 12. Because we're going to have the opportunity to confess together just where we are. First, we'll confess together that we are not where God would have us be. And then we're going to have a moment of silence following that prayer of confession. Just some time between you and God to admit those places where you still struggle. That you might receive God's grace through prayer and through this table. We have an opportunity to receive strength. And this opportunity is for all. Would you hear this invitation? Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who don't have it together, all who struggle with sin, all whose lives are a mess, shattered and in shambles because of the power of sin and yet still desire to repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, 
let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.